we come before you, uh, Lord, um, with, with a, a big text, uh, and we need your help, Lord. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. God, we need your spirit to, uh, to help me, to empower me to speak things that would be pleasing to you. God, but we need your spirit to open our hearts to receive your word and to grow in us what you want us to hear. I want us to, to know and to be changed by, Lord, so that we'll become more like Jesus and that, that people maybe who don't know Jesus today, uh, that they'd see him, they'd see him as gloriously good. Father, we ask these things for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen. So again, one last time in Daniel. And I have good news and bad news for you guys. For some of you, uh, it's going to be bad news because you've been, you've been loving Daniel and you're like, man, I want to do Ezekiel next and then maybe Isaiah and Jeremiah and just go through all these difficult prophet, prophets. Um, but for others of you, maybe you're looking at chapter 12, verse 8, and you're thinking, this is my verse for Daniel. I heard, but I did not understand. And just, just FYI for you guys, that actually is my life verse. I think that Fred could testify to that if you asked him. Um, but there is, uh, so there's good news here that, that you know, if, if that's you, uh, this is the last time we'll be in Daniel this morning. Uh, the, the bad news is that to, to have this be the last time, we're going to have to cover a huge section. We're going to go through chapters 10, 11, and 12 this morning. So it's going to be a little bit uh, intense but that being said, I, I say it like it's bad news, but I'm actually really, really excited to preach it to you this morning. Because I think, that, I think that there's a way to go through chapters 10, 11, and 12 and to be encouraged and to be uh, built up in, in the faith that we have this morning and to go out and to live our lives faithfully as exiles and not get lost in the weeds. So, so we pray, Lord, help us. We're going to try and accomplish this. And I also want you to know that it's not because Fred hates me that he's given me these last three chapters. It's because they're, they're one cohesive unit. This is a final culminating vision that was given to Daniel that he has from God. And so they hold together, and there's a reason we're going to deal with them all three at the same time. It's not just because uh, I got the short straw. There's themes here that are being picked up, actually, from the rest of the book of Daniel and kind of re-articulated for us this morning. And these themes are all aimed at the same thing the whole book has been aimed at. They're aimed at helping exiles like us live faithfully in a foreign land. And we need that this morning. And maybe, maybe it's appropriate even to ask the question, do you feel this morning like an exile? Have you ever felt like an exile here this morning in Vancouver? Have you ever just felt a little out of touch with your neighbors or with your coworkers or with somebody that you're talking to in the street? Maybe it's a family member and you feel misunderstood. And you feel maybe even intentionally misunderstood. It's not like, it's, it's like they're on purpose not getting it because they, they don't have any sympathy for you and for Jesus. Have you been there? You know, being a faithful Christian, being a faithful exile, it's not actually easy. It's difficult. I think if you've tried to be really faithful, you know that it, uh, our faith includes a lot of suffering. And so we need to hear these three themes. There's going to be three themes in these three chapters that are oriented to help us to be faithful. And we're going to conclude the whole book of Daniel with those three words of encouragement for exiles like us. So three points this morning. Number one, from chapter 10, there is comfort for the fearful. Number one, in chapter 10, there is comfort for the fearful. Number two, in chapter 11, we read and we, we're going to learn that there's judgment for the wicked. So that, number two, in chapter 11, there's judgment for the wicked. Number three, in chapter 12, there's resurrection 
for the beloved. Again, number three in chapter 12, there's resurrection for the beloved. So the first thing that we need to live faithfully in exile, as exiles in this foreign land is that, that first word of encouragement, that, that there's comfort for the fearful. And for Daniel, comfort for his fear actually comes in chapter 10. So what's chapter 10 about? You know, let's get into this. Chapter 10 serves as the introductory uh, chapter of the final vision. And, and in this chapter, a few things happen. In verses 1 to 4, we're introduced to the scenario. We see that Cyrus is king of Persia now, not Darius any longer, like in the previous vision. And it is the third year of Cyrus's reign. And Daniel, we're told, has been, he's been praying, he's been fasting, he's been contemplating the things that have been revealed to him, and he's gone out to stand on the bank of the Tigris River outside Babylon, and he receives a vision there on the banks of that river with the men around him. And then in verses 2 to 9, we're given this narrative where this angel comes to Daniel in order to communicate this vision to him. Just look at uh, part of that section. Look at verses 5 to 6 with me of Daniel 10 to get a sense of what I'm, what's going on here. Daniel writes about the vision he received. He says, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So let me ask you this. If a gleaming man with a, a face that shone like lightning, with torches for eyes and a voice like the surround sound system here in this theater, if he appeared to you, what would you do? What would your reaction be? Well, we can at least see what Daniel's reaction was and the men with him in verses 7 to 9. Look at those with me. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them. So they didn't see it. They didn't but they trembled anyway. They were afraid. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So the men with Daniel they hide themselves even though they haven't seen what's going on because they're, they're terrified. Daniel's knees are, are shaking and he faints, I think, in fear. I think that's what it means that he fell asleep. I think he just fainted in his fright. But I don't think that his reaction should be surprising to us if we've been reading our Bibles and we're familiar with some of the, the, themes, th the themes in Scripture because in the Bible, whether you're confronted by an angel or a divine finger, a figure, men and women tend to be terrified by that experience. That's a, that's a normal part of the scripture narrative that we read. For example, not too long before uh, the people went into exile, there was another prophet, and his name was Isaiah. And he had a visionary experience like this one. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, verses 3 to 5, he saw God seated on his throne. He saw these angelic beings all around. And we're just going to read that passage and see what his response was. Look with me at Isaiah 6, verses 3 to 5. Daniel saw, or Isaiah saw God seated on his throne and angelic beings worshiping, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We sang that this morning. We sang that straight out of the scripture. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. And if you're just wondering what that means in English, that means I'm doomed. 
I've seen something that's too much for me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was terrified. Isaiah was pretty confident that he was going to die. But even for Isaiah and Daniel, these experiences of terror and the presence of God or a divine messenger, they're not the only ones. There's more than these even. If you read the gospel accounts, this is what happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel came to her. This is what happened to Jesus' disciples when they saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. And if you don't know what a transfiguration is, it's the account in the gospel where Jesus, who is fully man, right? See, people get used to seeing him as fully man, but he's also fully God. It's this moment in in the story where he is on the mountain with a select few disciples, and he's revealed in the fullness of the glory of God to his disciples, and they're terrified. They see behind the veil, the curtain is lifted. And in Matthew 17, 6, the disciples hear God talking to Jesus, and they've seen these things about his glory being revealed, and they, they see that God calls Jesus his son. And they, in verse 6, they fall on their faces, and they're terrified, just like Daniel, just like Isaiah, just like those who've received a divine messenger. So the question for us is, why all this fear? What's the fear because of, right? We want to we answer that question. Hear this. People fall on their faces in the presence of God because his glory and even the glory of his angels exposes human frailty and sin. We fall on our faces because God's glory and the glory and holiness of his angels even exposes our sin. It's like this. I remember when I was 13 years old, approximately, and I, and I didn't have the greatest complexion, and I, I had a grandmother, like we all do, and I wandered into her bedroom one morning, and, and she had this, this place where she'd do her makeup, and she had the mirror set up where she'd do her makeup, but it was one of those esthetician mirrors with the lights on it, you know, with the magnification to 10. So I'm wandering in, not knowing what I'm going to see, and I catch a glimpse of myself in a way that I did not want to see myself. I saw things that ought not to be seen. But here's the thing. I saw me. I saw my own blemishes. I saw my own imperfections. When you stand before God, something similar happens. It starts to become clear to you who you are. It becomes clear to you who, who you are in your sin, in your need, because the contrast between his brilliance and his glory is washing over you. It becomes very apparent who you are as a sinful human being. And for sinners like us, that's a frightening thing because part of our perfection, part of, sorry, part of God's perfection, part of the perfection that we're confronted with in that holiness is knowing that he's perfect in his justice. So you get to your, your face, you fall on your belly with your hands uplifted as fast as you can because you know this God is holy and good and I am sinful and I ought to be punished. I think that's what's happening to Daniel. He's seen something glorious. He's on the bank of the river, afraid and trembling because he feels exposed by the holiness of a divine messenger. And what happens? The angel comes to him and comforts him. Look at verse 18 of chapter 10. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. 
be strong and of good courage. By the mercy and goodness of God, Daniel isn't judged for his sin, but he's actually accepted and he's loved and he's comforted instead. Did you know that through the gospel, it's the same for us? You know that through the gospel, God didn't just send an angel to us? Look at, look at what God sent. Look at who God sent in Matthew 17, 7. You know, we're going to read the next verse following that place where these guys are on their faces at the transfiguration. And it says, as they're, as they're lying on the ground, in their terror, Matthew 17, 7 says this, but Jesus came and he touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Do you know Christ's Christ City, this morning, that, that for sinners like you and I, God has sent Jesus with this message. Rise and have no fear. Let those words sink into your bones. Take, take heart. Just pause and let that, let that touch you. We serve a God who, who came to earth and took on flesh so that he could put his hand on your shoulder and reveal to you his love and his care and his forgiveness, and his mercy, and say those words, rise and have no fear. I think this is what Paul's picking up on in Romans 8, verse 1, when he says, when he says this in, in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no fear for you in Jesus. I wonder if you believe this. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you struggle with words like these ones, because because sometimes you have a distorted view of God's love. Because sometimes you think, you know, maybe God's actually just out there to, to pull that rug out from under my feet. You know, I, I know my sin, and, and I, I think I still, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I probably still deserve his judgment. Maybe you, you know theologically that God loves you, but you struggle in your heart to believe that God likes you. You know, I hate to say it, but, but I've thought that. It's true. I, I've struggled with this. How could God love me? Did you know that that sort of thinking is actually a lie that's meant to cause you to be unfaithful? If you've, if you've placed your hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, there's a truth for you you need to hear this morning. And the truth is this. Imagine Jesus speaking this to you right now. In spite of all you've done, I don't condemn you. I forgive you and I love you. Rise and have no fear. That's the hope of the gospel. So look again at what the angel says to Daniel in verse 19. He says, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Daniel needed to hear this because he needed it for faithfulness. Because only the assurance of God's love and the knowledge that we don't need to fear will strengthen us to be faithful in exile. Why is that? Why is that? Well, think about it this way. Have you ever had a leader in your life? Maybe a boss, God forbid, but maybe a parent. Maybe someone who is close to you and has some authority and love. I mean, maybe not love in this situation. And their, their leadership style is all judgment. Their leadership style is, I'm going to hold the judgment over your head and the punishment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be critical. That's all I'm going to be. And point out all the flaws. Did that motivate you to faithfulness in those spheres of your life? Of course not. It built fear and anxiety in your life. It crippled you. That sort of leadership, that sort of fear does not empower you to faithfulness. It cripples you. God's people aren't to be fearful 
because we know that we are greatly loved. And for us to be faithful, we need to know that. We need to be empowered by that truth. Truth. So hear this. This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus here, God is for you. He's not against you. His love's been poured into your hearts by his Holy Spirit. His presence is within you. He's forgiven you. And Jesus has placed his hand on your shoulder saying, rise and have no fear. We need to hear this. So exiles need, <clears throat> exiles need comfort from our fear in order to be faithful. We see that here in verse 10. But what else do exiles need? We need more than this. The next point is from chapter 11. Sorry, guys. From chapter 11. And, uh, and the other thing that we need is, um, is that if we don't know that there will be an end to suffering, if we don't know that there'll be an end to evil, wouldn't that discourage us? Wouldn't that affect our faithfulness? The second thing that we need to know in order to be faithful in a foreign land, it's here for us. And it's, it's in chapter 11, and it's the, the message that judgment is for the wicked. There is judgment for the wicked. So that's our second point. Daniel 11, judgment for the wicked. And this isn't a new theme in Daniel. If you've been, if you've been paying attention, you remember that, that God's judgment actually was revealed in chapter 2. And the, the stone crushes the feet of the statue, and God's kingdom takes its place. Or you've read Daniel 5, and you remember that Belshazzar, uh, his kingdom ended. Babylon passed from the, the era of Babylon to the era of Persia by the hand of God. You also know that, that in Daniel 7, all those kingdoms of the beasts, they actually fall prey to the kingdom of the Son of Man. So we've seen judgment before. But here in chapter 11, we see the same theme of God's sovereign judgment against all the kingdoms that are opposed to his rule and his reign. But we see it in particular about the kingdoms that would come after Daniel's life. We see that Daniel 11 actually zooms deep into the details of a couple kingdoms. Of the kingdoms of Persia and of Greece and of Rome. And it, Daniel 11 doesn't give names to us. We don't see names here, but there's enough historical detail and accuracy that if you're a historian of the ancient Near East, or if you are a biblical scholar, it's easy to pick up that, that they're clearly, he's clearly talking about people we know of. People who are famous in our history books, like Xerxes. You know, that he fought the battle uh, at the Battle of Thermopylae against the 300. If you've seen the movie, the 300, that's what that's about. Or Alexander the Great, this, this chapter is about him. It's about his rise and his death and the passing of his empire to his four generals. Or it prophesies also about Cleopatra. You've heard of her? And the, the famous love story that ends in tragedy. But also of Antiochus Epiphanes and the awful things that, that he did against God's temple. There's all these historical figures. But through all the detail and the complexity of chapter 11, there's one message that can be summed up in one verse. It's verse 45. Take a look at that with me. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. In the context of chapter 11, verse 45 is a summary statement about all opposition toward God. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Despite all the accomplishments of these leaders, despite the fact that we see them in our history books today, millennia after the fact, they did not conquer one acre more than God set for them. And after that, they were judged. God ended them. And I know that you probably didn't wake up this morning and come to church and think, you know what I need to hear from the pulpit in order to be faithful this morning? I need to hear an encouragement 
about judgment for the wicked. Did, did you, anybody here wake up with that first inclination? This is what I need to hear this morning. Probably not. But I want to challenge you that we actually need to hold on to this truth in order to be faithful. Because if we have no hope that evil will be dealt with, why would we continue? Think about it this way. Maybe, maybe you're a runner, and you're one of those sick runners who's a little twisted and actually just enjoys running. Right? You're like, I just want, I just want to run for forever. If you're, if you're a normal person like me, and, uh, and you run only if you have the knowledge that that race will end. This stupid thing's going to be over in exactly 10 kilometers, and I'm done. I'm never running a race longer than that. That I know that, that beyond the pain, there's an end. I'm going to jump into the, the ocean. I love cold water. I'm going to jump into the ocean. I'm going to come out and have a cold beverage. I'm going to go home, maybe stop at a leisure center, have a hot tub on the way, and go to the couch. Hope for the end keeps me going. And in the same way, we need to know that, that evil isn't going to last for forever. When you see injustice all around in this city, when you see the kids in the foster system without homes, without love, know that one day abuse and brokenness and pain and suffering will end. When you see the weakest members of our society when you see the unborn being murdered, know that it will not last for forever. It will come to its end with none to help. When you see God mocked, when you see his righteousness laughed at, when you experience slander and hostility because you follow Jesus, know that the slanderer won't slander forever. You will be vindicated. There will be an end Righteousness will reign. God's glory will fill this earth. But here's a question for us this morning. Why would we endure? Why would we endure if we're going to die before God sets things right? I mean, right in the middle of, of chapter 11, promising the end of the wicked, you have verses 11, 33 to 35. Look at this with me. Look, verses 11, 33 to 35. And the wise among the people shall make many understand... Though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame. Sorry, this is chapter 12. I don't know why I said chapter 11 here. It is chapter 11. Okay. I take it back. I doubted myself. This is right. Uh, Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. And it's kind of a complex couple of verses, but we've got to be clear here and cut to the chase. These verses are describing the faithful who live as exiles with all of this wickedness around them, all of those things not being dealt with before God's judgment. And it describes them living faithful lives, doing their work, even being bold evangelists. Do you see that? They're wise. They turn, they turn many, um, uh, they should, they, sorry, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. And it's a word of evangelism. That's a word to us too as an aside that, that we, if we know the wicked shall be judged, we have a message of hope and mercy and grace. We're talking about real people here, and we have a message of love that we need to share. So these guys are evangelists. They're being faithful. They're being persecuted. But despite their faithfulness, in the end, we know they didn't see what was promised with their own eyes. They died first. And here's the thing. Every single person 
who has lived faithfully for God in human history, has not received the full measure of the things that God has promised to his people. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says this about everyone who's been a faithful follower of God in history. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. All of us have been running this race in hope, but without grasping the prize at the end. And if God promises to one day set things right, but we die before that happens, then what then? What then? Do we miss out? Is there no hope for us in the future? Should we just give up now? No, we shouldn't. And this leads us to the next thing that we need to consider in order to live faithful lives as exiles. Point three this morning from chapter 12 is this is that we have the promise of God that even if we die before evil is dealt with, we still have hope because God has prepared a resurrection for his beloved. Let me say that again. Point three this morning from chapter 12 is that we have the promise of God that even if we die before evil is dealt with, we still have hope because God has prepared a resurrection for his beloved. Chapter 12, the point here is that there is a resurrection for the beloved. So where chapter 11 zoomed in to consider the finer points of several kingdoms and the judgment that they would receive from God, chapter 12 picks up from the idea of wickedness being judged in 11 verse 45, and it moves all the way forward to speak of the time at the end of human history when it's all over. And in the first two verses, we see four things. We see one, a climactic period of trouble. We see two, this final deliverance of God's people. We see three, the resurrection of God's people to be with him forever. And four, the resurrection of God's people to, sorry, the resurrection of God's enemies to eternal judgment. The four things. Look at verses one to two with me. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's a resurrection. Some, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The good news that the angel tells Daniel in his exile, struggling to be faithful, is that even if, even if his faithful life looks like suffering, holding on to Jesus, holding on to God, And dying, there's hope because there's a resurrection. And for you, Christ City, this morning, for you who are in Christ this morning, for you, man and woman, greatly loved, for you who are washed by Jesus, accepted into his arms and loved, for you who have your names written in his book of life that we just read about, God has promised a resurrection from the dead to life with him forever. He's promised that after sin and evil are, are gone, after death is destroyed, that you'll stand with him in a homeland that's been prepared for you. So how do you endure? The faithful before us have all endured in faith in what is to come because of the hope of a resurrection. They hoped for a time when God would not only end what is evil and wicked, but would also breathe life into their bones, but even into the bones of this world so that it will flourish like the Garden of Eden and life will be everywhere. No longer death, no longer suffering, no longer any evidence of sin. 
We're promised because of the resurrection a better homeland. Hear that. A better homeland than the one that we live in right now. So look at the whole passage in Hebrews 11, 13 to 16 with me. I'm going to read about this. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar through prophecies like the one that they saw in Daniel that we read just now. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, just like us, just like Daniel. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There's something better. There's something better that we're, that we're waiting for, that the resurrection guarantees for us. So here's the question. Think about it this way. Can you imagine living in the Truman Show? If you don't know the Truman Show, <clears throat> Jim Carrey plays Truman, and his whole life is this really sick kind of reality TV show. So from infancy, from birth to, to you know, the point in time when the story takes place, he's been filmed, he's been watched, and everything looks idyllic. Everything looks good. But just under the surface, something sinister is happening. Something evil. He looks like he's having an awesome life, that things are, are going well. But it, beneath the surface, things are disturbingly wrong and corrupt. Nothing's real. And Truman begins to figure out and seek to escape it. I think we need to be aware that, that the Bible teaches us that our lives are not all that there is. That this life is a little bit like the Truman Show because even though we've grown accustomed to our lives as they are, beneath the surface of every part of our experience here in this city are the realities of sin and death and suffering and evil. Things are actually not as they should be. We live in a distorted reality. And here's, here's where it gets personal. That means that the loved one that you've lost, that means that the disease that you'll die from, that, that means that the, the abuse that you experienced, that means that the church that you saw that fell apart because of sin and unforgiveness, that means that the sin that you struggle with that still haunts you, that means that the world full of pollution, full of crop failures, and full of eco-disasters, droughts and famines, that all of this is not how it should be. That all of this is evidence that we are living in a broken version of reality. We look forward to a better country than Canada. We look forward to a better city than Vancouver. You know, God created humanity to live in a perfect world. All the way back in Genesis, we read about a garden called Eden, paradise with God. That's what we're made for. The message of the Bible, though, is that, that we mess things up because of our sin. And the message of the Bible is that God didn't give up when that happened. God stayed with us. He faithfully and lovingly guided all of history through men and women with names that you might have heard of, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and Naomi and Esther and Daniel and Jesus. He's lovingly, faithfully guiding all things toward the day when everyone who's embraced God as their God and Savior will praise him forever in a new world, in a new Eden, in his presence 
where all that is wrong is set right forever. The resurrection in chapter 12 is the promise that one day you and I will live in a new world. You and I will live in a new Vancouver. All the corruption will be gone, and all that will be left is the sweet presence of our Father who loves us, our older brother whose blood has washed us clean, and the comforter who indwells us and is with us right now. We're going to be in the Trinitarian Fellowship of God forever. I want to I read a text for you this morning, with you this morning, that just points to that time, that, that shows that, that hope and glory. Read Revelation 21, verses 3 to 7 with me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, that, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who had seated, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for the words are trustworthy, and they are true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I wonder if that's you this morning. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. You need this hope. I need this hope. Faithfulness in a foreign land requires this hope. Look at what the angel says to Daniel in the last verse of the book. In chapter 12, verse 13. Now, this is an, if you want to memorize something from Daniel, memorize this verse. Hold on to it. Think about Revelation 21 as you read it. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest. You shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Hear that this morning. Christ said, you shall rest your hope is in Jesus this morning, you shall stand with him at the end. So, where are you at this morning? Wondering how this is landing on you. Are these words speaking to you? Maybe, maybe they're not. Maybe they're just kind of flying over your head right now. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who's not, who's not thirsty the thirsty I will give from the spring. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't have a hunger for God or for his kingdom. Maybe for you it seems a little bit like everything's going smoothly right now and that you've, you've pitched your tent in Vancouver. And you've heard a word from God about a kingdom that's coming. But you said, you know, God, thanks very much. I don't think I, 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 don't think I, I need that. I'm, I'm really good here. This is enough. I'm satisfied. My hope's here. If that's you, and if you're not hearing the word of this encouragement because you're not walking with Jesus, I pray you'd repent. I pray that you'd see this message of grace and love and mercy for sinners. And I pray that you'd realize that Vancouver has nothing to offer compared to the kingdom that God is building through his son. 
know that. You know, on the other hand, there might be some of you who are in the exact opposite place, and you're just desperate. You're desperate for mercy and grace. You're, you're thirsty, and it's palpable. You've been experiencing opposition and pain and suffering, and it just feels like that's your daily experience. You wake up in the morning, and you know following Jesus is going to be hard today. My prayer for you is that, that these three chapters would encourage you, that they fill your heart with joy, knowing the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God that you don't need to fear. I pray that you'd have confidence that all that you're experiencing right now, it's going to end. It's going to end. There will be an end to what is harmful and sinful and evil, and you'll be with God forever. My prayer for you is that you would have hope and the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. My prayer for you is that you would have perseverance to live faithfully as an exile this week in a foreign land. So in conclusion, God has called us as exiles to live faithful lives in a foreign land. He's given us the grace and comfort and love that we need. He's shown us that wickedness will not last forever. And he's promised that we will be raised to life to stand at the end of days in our allotted place on the new earth with, with him. So endure suffering. Serve well. Live for tomorrow today. Live for tomorrow today with your hope fixed firmly on that grace that's brought to us when Jesus comes in his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as those who are just rejoicing. You are a God who's guided all of history for your great redemptive purposes. Lord, we rejoice that we have your comforter, your Holy Spirit within us now, uh, comforting us and guiding us, helping us to stay faithful as we look forward to what you've promised for us. God, we ask for your mercy to help us to be faithful. Help us to be evangelists. Help us to share the news that we have. Oh, Lord, we ask all these things for your glory. Lord, we ask that, that if there's someone here this morning who does not know you, that this would not just be a word of caution and of, of concern, but this would be a word that they hear and they have hope because of. They see that there is a God who is merciful to sinners. Lord, I pray that they would, they would hear those words. They would run to Jesus for comfort, to hear the words, rise and have no fear. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.